The future of Cape Town Mayor Patricia DeLille will dominate discussions at a DA caucus meeting this morning, on Monday rather. This follows amendments to the party's constitution at the DA's Congress last weekend. Tandizwe Mao reports. Dalil survived a motion of no confidence by one vote in February. She was supported by the ANC, the EFF and other smaller opposition parties. The vote was conducted by way of a secret ballot after Dalil approached the courts. She also faces a DA disciplinary hearing on misconduct charges. Deputy caucus leader in Cape Town, J.P. Smith, says they are armed with a newly instituted recall clause and another possible vote for a motion of no confidence in Dalil. The recall clause allows the party to remove its leaders in government. Smith says more DA councillors want Dalil out. A prominent aspect of the dissatisfaction by many of the caucus members is the attempt to racialize the attacks, to suggest that there is a group of white men which cannot accept the leadership of a strong-colored female. That is the narrative that is attempting to be driven in the media by the mayor. DA leader in the Western Cape, Bongingosi Matikizela, says the recall clause is a political tool to assist the party to get rid of errant leaders in a sound and rational manner. The party was unable to act against members who were holding the party at ransom, acting in a manner that contravenes the party's constitution. And with this amendment, those members will now be able to act against those particular leaders. The ANC, which is the official opposition in the city council, voted against the motion of no confidence in Dalil. Caucus leader Kolani Sotasha says they will not support factional battles within the DA should another no confidence motion take place. We've got our own issues with Dalil, but we are not going to allow a faction in the DA to come and pose themselves in government and dictate what needs to be done. That city of Cape Town is not a DA's buzzer shop. Dalil could not be reached for comment. I'm Tandi in Cape Town. 18 minutes past 6 o'clock. The country's latest political changes have seemingly translated into general good sentiment as shown by the positive first quarter policy uncertainty index, the PUI. The index for 2018's first quarter fell sharply to 49.6. That was compared to 55.4 during the last quarter of 2017. Now, this is the index's marginal move into positive territory for the first time since the final quarter of 2016. Joining us now on the line to speak further on this is Professor Raymond Parsons from the Northwest University School of Business and Governance, the SBG. A very good morning to you, Professor, and welcome. Well, good morning to you, Elvis. Can we pop the champagne bottles and is the index's marginal move into positive territory something to celebrate? Well, Elvis, I think that the shift in the dial of the policy uncertainty index in the first quarter of this year is indeed a welcome development after, as you've indicated, we've had several earlier quarters of rising policy and political uncertainty. So it means, in effect, that... Our confidence has risen and uncertainty has declined about South Africa's economic performance. And it reflects the fact that there is a better economic mood in the country, that business and consumer confidence has risen uh, as uncertainty has fallen in, in the past few months. And it also means, as you will have seen from some other figures, that our economic growth seems to have, have bounced back and that the forecasts we are all making in the short term, indicate that we could well reach uh, perhaps a 2% growth rate 
in, in the short term. So I think this is all proof why we should be pleased that uh, that policy uncertainty has moved into positive territory. Now, there's only been a switch in leadership uh, politically, but how does that spell policy reassurance? And, and tell us briefly what this index means for economic as well as political stability in the country. Well, the whole issue of policy and political uncertainty is that it's bad for investment, for employment, and, and indeed for the output of our economy. Where you have high levels of, of, of such uncertainty, we simply find And this is a global phenomenon that where there's too much uncertainty, this hampers investment and consumer spending and therefore growth. So what our index is doing and has been doing for for the past two years is to calibrate the level of uncertainty at the policy and indeed the political level. Because as the saying goes, and you've heard it before, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So this has become quite an important tool now for both both the government and the private sector in their in, in their planning. How does the policy uncertainty index, Professor, differ from uh, the perception index? Well, I think the important point here is that these political changes in government and the fact that we have a new president it means that the uncertainty element has been influenced by the shift in our governance, uh, and in dealing with matters such as state capture and corruption. And the whole issue of accountability has now come to the fore. And this is very confidence-building, and it also reduces uncertainty because there are now there is a return to certain norms and certain rules which enable one uh, to have more certainty uh, about where we're going as an economy. So that's, that's quite important from the point of view of the perceptions about uncertainty and the extent to which, if it's reduced, it expedites better decision-making, both by government and by the private sector. Mm-hmm. Are you able to determine, uh, Professor, whether policy uncertainty will improve or decline, perhaps, in the lead-up to the 2019 elections? Well, I think the important point here is, and this is the message which we've also put into the index, we mustn't be complacent. I think everyone's very pleased at the, both these political and economic changes in, in the country. We have a breathing space now uh, uh, that we haven't, we've avoided this, uh, this universal junk status which we were worrying about a few months ago. So these issues such as land reform and the fact that we have an election coming next year, these will generate certain dynamics which we have to manage. And I think the important point is that these factors will play their part in shaping the future levels of policy uncertainty. But the basic point is, A, that we should manage these dynamics as well as we can, but B, more importantly, what what the latest index is telling us is that South Africa has turned an an important economic corner that our economic fortunes are beginning to improve, but how we build on it is entirely in our hands, and we cannot be complacent. 49.6 is a very good score, but what will it take to see that translate to benefit hard-pressed consumers in the country? Well, I think the important point is precisely that, 
that 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 this better news we have we have to capitalize on it. It is one thing to have a better business mood, to have a better investment mood. That's that's an important base from which you then have to translate that into investment, into jobs, uh, and into a stable price level, all of which you need in order to build a bigger, stronger, and better economy. So the challenge to us is to turn this this much better mood into tangible outcomes on the ground so that people feel there's hope that their things will get better in the future and that their lives will improve as a result of the better decisions that can be taken in a climate in which there is reduced there is reduced policy and political uncertainty. Professor Raymond Parsons, I thank you so much for your time and joining us this morning. That was Professor Raymond Parsons from the Northwest University School of Business and Governance talking to us about the improved first quarter policy uncertainty index. A very good score there for South Africa. Now, remember that you can engage with us on, on that number, 0891104208. That's the number in studio. Uh, let's take a quick look at what you're telling us on the SMS line. This one from Errol Pressy says, Winnie Madigizela Mandela and Martin Luther King both fought against the evils of apartheid and segregation. I saw the evils of segregation in America, uh, says Errol there. Uh, Well, you can let us know what's uh, on your mind. Uh, That's uh, what we have for you this Sony. Uh, We'll come back to some of uh, your other comments uh, if we do see see them there. Elvis Presley, 6 to 7 a.m. Weekend View. Now, the United Nations has held a special memorial service for Madigizela Mandela at the organization's headquarters in New York. The ceremony was attended by UN members from across the globe. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says that the UN will continue to support all efforts to end racism in honor of Mama Wini. She was an international symbol of resistance who left an indelible mark on the history of the 20th century. In the decades-long fight against apartheid, the United Nations stood with Winnie, Madikizela, Mandela, and all those in South Africa who faced unrelenting racism and discrimination. Today, as we remember her, the United Nations reaffirms its commitment to the ideals of equality, justice, and humanity for all. Now, there you have it, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. Now, the UN Special Advisor on Africa, Bience Gawanas from Namibia, says that Mama Winnie's courage inspired her to fight for freedom and peace in her own country. She inspired me, and I followed her call for women not to take the backseat in the struggle for freedom, but rather to be at the forefront. So I'm here as Bean's governors from Namibia, who found courage from Mawini to fight for freedom, for justice and peace in my own country. Now that is the UN Special Advisor on Africa, Bien Seguana, speaking at the UN Memorial of the Late Struggle Icon, Mamawini Madigizela. Mandela. Now, let's go live to Soweto at uh, uh, Mama Winnie's house, where Sophie Mukwena is uh, there for us. A very good morning to you, Sophie, and welcome. Can you tell us what is the mood like there at Mama Winnie's house this morning? It is indeed a somber mood, as you can hear uh, on the background here, the members of the MK singing. Just now, I saw some members of the assembly arising, 
and also earlier on we saw the arrival of the uh, leader of the Defence Force, General Shoke, and also some clergy and the ANC National Chairperson for the Mankashe, uh, accompanied by the Treasurer General Paul Mashadibe. And a uh, lot of media waiting here. We're waiting currently. Uh, some of those signatures are inside the house. Uh, at half past six, the viewing of the body will start, and only few people have been invited outside. Inside at seven o'clock, uh, a, a mini prayer, and thereafter, it will be the wrapping or draping of the caskets with a flag, and we expect the convoy to leave the house at 8 o'clock to Orlando Stadium. Mm-hmm. How many people is there already, uh, Sophie, that you can uh, visually see there at the house this morning? Uh, uh, a number of people, I must say, and many are now arriving, ordinary people, uh, relatives, like I indicated earlier on, members of the ANC, uh, and, uh, of course, uh, the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, the procession, you say, will leave at what time and, and how will it proceed from, from the house? We expect the procession to leave the house at 8 o'clock to uh, Orlando Stadium. Orlando Stadium is not far from the house. It's a few kilometers away from the house. Actually, when you are outside, you can see Orlando Stadium. We are expecting the uh, family and uh, all those who are accompanying the family to leave the house at 8 o'clock. Our political editor, Sophie Mukwena, at Mama Winnie's house there in Soweto in Orlando West. That brings the time exactly to 6.30. It's time for your news headlines. Thanks, Alvis. Yes, in the headlines, and like Sophie said, the family of Winnie Matikizela Mandela is conducting a final private viewing at her Orlando West home in Soweto ahead of a funeral service this morning. Reverend Vukile Mahana is conducting the service. Thousands of people, as well as local and international dignitaries, are expected to attend struggle icon Winnie Madikizela Mandela's funeral service at Soweto's Orlando Stadium this morning. And the head of the United Nations has issued a dire warning about the risk of a military escalation over Syria, which has been accused of using chemical weapons in the town of Duma. Details on these and more at 7. Elvis Presley, 6 to 7 a.m., Saturdays and Sundays. Thank you, Kirat. We'll be back a little bit later with your news, so stay tuned at 7 o'clock. Now, the credit record company TransUnion says there is likely to be an upsurge in credit applications and debt following the decision by the Cape Town High Court to remove a requirement for a payslip by the creditors. Now, High Court, the High Court in Cape Town recently found that consumers need not have payslips to qualify for purchases on credit. The decision comes from an application by the retail stores Truiths, Foshini, as well as Mr. Price, and uh, to have the requirements removed. Now, to further discuss this, we joined on the line by the National Credit Regulators Company Secretary, Lasiba Mashapa. Very good morning to you and welcome. Good morning and good morning to the listeners. Mr. Mashapa, a flood of credit applications are expected after this ruling. Is this a good or a bad thing? It is a bad thing when those applications are approved without the credit providers verifying the income through payslips and bank statements Hmm. for those that are formerly employed and have bank accounts. 
Now, what are some of the dangers that will be associated with taking on customers without a payslip? Obviously, if you don't know what the income of the customer is, in terms of parts of the regulations that remain in force, you will not be able to calculate what we call their discretionary income, which is the income that is available to finance the new installment. And you will also not be able to properly classify their living expense bent in the regulations. So it's going to be very problematic for credit providers to properly assess the affordability of the customers. And this might over time result in more consumers becoming over indebted. And actually what we have seen over the last two years was the number of consumers who are unable to pay has been declining steadily. And we attribute this also to the strict requirements of the regulations that we had before this judgment. Why do you think the retail companies wanted this rule um, to prevent uh, uh, consumers to present this pay pay slips to them removed? Well, when we read the court papers that they filed about two years ago, their only concern was about consumers in the informal economy who have no pay slips and... uh, and bank statements, but we were shocked that the judge extended this to consumers who are formally employed. Mm -hmm. Now, the way forward now? Obviously, we will be guided by the Department of Trade and Industry as to whether the regulation will be amended to cater for the concerns that were raised by the judge. But from our side, there are things that we can do within our powers For example, we've already indicated to credit providers that we would still expect them to obtain proof of income because the requirements in the Act require them to take reasonable steps to assess consumers' income before they give them credit. I thank you so much for your time. That was Lasiba Mashaba, the company secretary, the National Credit Regulator, speaking to us from Johannesburg. And as you know, this, uh, TransUnion is indicating that there will be an upsurge in credit applications and debt following that decision by the Cape High Court to remove a requirement for a payslip by you, the creditor. So there you have it. It's six thoughts. Now, in this week's uh, Econ Wrap, the World Bank says that the South African economy is on the rise, but says unemployment and inequality remain a problem. Uh, but it seems like we... Uh, let's first go live to Mama Winnie's house, where Sophie McQueen, our political editor, is speaking to Reverend Jesse Jackson. Tabo and Becky and Johnny McAtini and Tombo were in exile. Nelson and Cecilia's were in prison. Uh, Ramaphosa was in labor. She was the light. She took the hit. And so she was scarred and bruised. But by her, by her stripes, we're healed. We're a better nation. We're, we're strong. And she is the mother of a new South Africa. And she must always be honored as such in every, every, every way. To young women around the world, particularly in the diaspora, on the continent and in South Africa, any lessons to be learned from her life and time? With her strength of character, she kept, in, in, under great stress, she kept her children together. She, she hovered over her children. She kept her family. She freed her husband. Nelson didn't free her. She freed Nelson. 
and she's played the role of a very strong woman. Thank you so much, Reverend. That was Reverend Jessa Jackson. Six to seven a.m. Weekend View with Elvis Presley. That's our political editor, Sophie Mukwena, speaking to Reverend Jesse Jackson there. As you know, the funeral is happening this morning uh, at uh, Mama Winnie's house, and they'll be, the procession will leave uh, for Orlando Stadium shortly uh, from about 7.30 onwards. The family will leave for the stadium then. Uh, all the shuttle services will stop the operations at 7.15, so you have uh, just about uh, 45 minutes or so uh, to get uh, to your stop where your buses are, as you know that there's uh, no cars allowed in and around the London Stadium this morning and the buses will leave from 4.30 this morning so they are busy transferring or uh, ferrying people to Orlando Stadium and no parking allowed in that area. We'll bring you some more update live uh, from uh, the house as well as from the stadium a little bit later. But right now let's go back to our week's uh, econ wrap. The World Bank says that the South African economy is on the rise but says unemployment and inequality still remain a problem. Meanwhile, ESCOM is hopeful about its application for a tariff increase from NERSA. And in other news, analysts are upbeat about improvements in mining output data after by the statistics South Africa showing a 3.1% increase in February. In other related news, Stats SA data also indicates a slowdown in manufacturing output in the February 2018 analysis. Naledi Ngobo filed this report. The South African economy is improving, but its recovery remains below that of other emerging markets. A new World Bank report expects GDP to grow slowly at 1.4% in 2018 and 1.8% in 2019, reaching almost 2% in 2020. The South African Reserve Bank leading business cycle indicators rose in the last quarter of 2017, supporting the case for further improvement. The bank said that higher growth potential will require ambitious structural reforms Forms. Amina Akram reports. The report shows that although some green shoots are starting to show, it questions the sustainability of this improved growth. The bank argues that consumption will likely continue as the main driver of growth and tailwinds from the agricultural sector are expected to taper off into 2018. However, the report warns that the country's growth potential is limited as unemployment and inequality remains high. South Africa is projected to remain largely below the average growth rate of 4.5% this year, lagging behind its peers. Meanwhile, ESCOM said that it was confident that the National Energy Regulator of South Africa, NERSA, will approve its application for an additional 66 billion rand. The power utility is trying to put back the money to recover a shortfall in revenue lost between 2014 and 2017. The public hearing on the tariff increases will start in the Western Cape and end in Gauteng next month. A constitutional court ruling in August 2017 cleared the way for NERSA to process three ESCOM applications. ESCOM's general manager for regulations, Hasha Tlotlamaje, briefed the media in Johannesburg. This deals with a, a risk management process in, compar- in comparing what NERSA's decision was and what actually happened and the variances that, that occurred due to various factors, including uh, changes in the sales volumes, the price of, of crude oil, the price of coal, etc. So this is not additional costs that ESCOM is, uh, is incurring, but rather variances that occurred that NASA had already decided on. 
In other news, mining production output improved in February 2018 compared to the previous month. Statistics South Africa's latest data shows that mining output increased by 3.1% year-on-year in February 2018. The biggest contributors came from diamonds and iron ore. Sam Rowland of Econometrix said that finalizing the mining charter and taking advantage of the improvement in commodity prices will see further investment into the sector. I think the hope for, for 2018 for many in the industry is that the mining charter will be finalized within the next month or two and, and many are hoping that this is cause for a lot more optimism and hopefully we should see an increase in a return of, of fixed investment, particularly in the mining sector, that should bring about a quicker recovery and the hope is that the country will be able to take full advantage of the upswing in commodity price. In related news, analysts are disappointed with the slow growth in manufacturing output. The latest data released by Statistics South Africa shows that manufacturing production increased marginally by 0.6% in February 2018 compared to the same time last year. Nedbank economist Nikki Weimar said that the slow growth was as a result of a decline in steel, chemicals and food products. February's manufacturing figures were very disappointing. We saw that uh, manufacturing output growth slowed to only 0.6% on a year-on-year basis, and this is from 2.3% growth in January. Um, and it was mainly the result of a fairly sharp decline in manufacturing output in February itself, where we saw sharp declines in steel products, your chemicals, as well as food products. One hashtag Weekend View. The late ambassador, George Nene, was laid to rest at Avalon Cemetery in Soweto yesterday. Now, Nene worked as a diplomat from 1994 until his retirement two years ago. He was South Africa's first high commissioner to Nigeria and also served in various capacities with the ANC's former armed wing, Mkonto Wesizwe, during the liberation struggle. High-profile politicians, family, friends, and members of the diplomats' community gathered at uh, Morris, Morris Isaacson High School uh, in the hall to bid farewell to Nene. Our senior political journalist, Amos Pajo, compiled this report. as those who worked closely with Nene lined up to give their testimony of a man they described as a gentleman par excellence. His political career began taking shape at a time when he was a student and later became an activist. Ambassador Willyland Lapo worked closely with Nene in student politics as well as in multilateral forums. Doing his work as a DDG for multilateral, at the time when I was ambassador in, 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 in the U.S., he came because we had to have this bilateral. So we sat with the UN US delegation, went through during tea time. So I said to George, you know, George, you seem to agree on, any, on everything here. What do you think we should do for the next item? He said, let's tell them to join, go back to the Human Rights Council. And we took, him on, took them on on that one. And in the end, gladly, they took that decision and went back to the Human Rights Council because the case we made made them feel that uh, they would be irresponsible not to do so. During the liberation struggle, Nene served with well-known political figures, including retired Army General Spiwe Nyanda, who was also a personal friend. I worked with him in Swaziland. Um, he was one of the first commanders of the Special Operations Division when it was formed. Before 
Obadi Kasaramuengwa, and uh, before uh, the others who, who, took, who took part there. And uh, the, at, at one point, because he was so, he had gotten to Swaziland as a teacher and he was working overboard, whereas he was part of the underground. When he was exposed as part of the underground, he had to leave for Lusaka and then got into diplomacy at DIP and so on. Former President Khalima Mutlante also worked with Nene in the ANC. He has described him as a true servant of the people of South Africa. Over the years, Comrade George consistently evidenced a nuanced comprehension of the Republic of South Africa, developing a profoundly deep knowledge of South Africa's place in the world that was the result of wide-ranging experience and acute intelligence. In his quiet way, he had an uncanny skill for interpreting world affairs and understanding the language and contents of official documents. His passing robs us all of those deep insights of value and significance. Meanwhile, President Cyril Ramaphosa paid a special tribute to Nene for job well done in advancing South Africa's multilateral agenda. Minister in the Presidency, Dr. Ngozan Atlamini Zuma, read the message on behalf of the President. On behalf of the government and the people of South Africa, we wish again to convey our deepest sympathies to the family of Ambassador George Nene. As we return his mortal remains to the soil that he revered, may you find comfort in the knowledge that Ambassador Nene served his country with rare distinction all his life. He was an excellent diplomat for our country because throughout his life he remained a teacher at heart When his story is finally written, he will occupy a special place amongst African teachers who use the classroom as a laboratory for the revolution. And for his family, Nene remained a humble but strict father to the end despite his public stature. Nene is survived by his wife and two daughters. I'm Amos Paro in Soweto. Bringing time to 6.47. Now, as you know, thousands of people as well as local and international dignitaries are expected to attend the struggle icon Winnie Madigizela Mandela's funeral service at Orlando Stadium uh, this morning in Soweto. The funeral service will start at a home in Orlando West uh, in uh, in Soweto at around 7 o'clock this morning. As you heard from Sophie McQuena earlier on, the procession will leave the house around about 7.30, 8 o'clock. Now, to find out more what's happening at Nasdaq, where our Tepo uh, Ikaneng is. Let's find out what's happening there. Very good morning to you, Tepo. Uh, number of buses we expect. We heard earlier there's about 600 buses that have been made available to transport mourners from different parts of the Gauteng province. Tell us what's happening there. Yes, most definitely. There is a lot of buses already in the precincts of Nazarek where I'm trying to make my way to the Orlando Stadium. Dignitaries, including senior ANC members, could be seen with ordinary people lining up in long queues here at Nazareth grounds, where basically they'll be ferried uh, to various uh, uh, points at the precinct of the Orlando Stadium. One can see people have responded very much positively to the call uh, that they come early uh, so that they can make their way there. So the police, including law enforcement, are having their full, 
their hands full in terms of really trying to navigate their transport. You could just imagine uh, most of the dignitaries and ordinary people coming in throngs, driving towards this area of Nazareth. So that's where I am, and shortly we'll be heading towards uh, uh, the stadium. But one, what, one, what one can also add is that at least uh, the means of transport have been made in terms of making sure that there is smooth uh, at, uh, transport of people to the stadium. Now, we believe that the park and ride facility was available since 4.30 this morning, uh, Tsepo. Um, what are you seeing where you are now? Because uh, the parking is available only at Nasrek Expo Center there. Uh, take us through some of the logistics uh, that people are experiencing, and is there a number of people coming already through? Yes, uh, park and rides, uh, I think those are the most uh, reliable modes of transport that people can try to uh, maybe pursue, pursue uh, because you won't be allowed really close to the princes. I also tried my luck, unfortunately, to go through uh, the security cordon, but they told us that no, no one is allowed here. It seems only the dignitaries, including the president, uh, will be allowed in the prisons. But ministers and the mayors and other people that are... Uh, 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 eminent people are going to be uh, uh, ferried through the buses and the park and ride system that uh, facility that has been offered. So one can say really, uh, it's also a good sign that you see uh, the, the mingling of people uh, who are regarded as uh, maybe senior people within the ANC, including in governance, with ordinary uh, folk in terms of queue for those buses. Now, if we if we look at the arrangements there, Tsepo, so everybody, they, it, it indicated earlier that all the shuttle services will stop at 7.15. That means it's about um, just about 20 minutes from now. Uh, is people coming through and, and is there enough uh, uh, those, of those buses to ferry people through to Orlando? I don't think they, that timeline would really stay because uh, the, long, the, the queues are fairly long and people are still streaming in. And by the look of things, they'll have to extend to close to an hour because it's not really feasible, given the fact that there's high security and already the traffic is congested and they would want uh, everybody to be there before the official start of the program. So the deadline that they've set, I don't think they'll meet it. They'll have to wait for the people to come. That's our per- reporter on the ground there at Nasdaq at Tsepo Ikaneng. Joining us now is our deputy political editor, Busi Chumombe, uh, from Orlando Stadium. A very good morning to you, Busi, and welcome. Can you tell us what is currently happening at Orlando Stadium? Yes, good morning, Elvis. Um, uh, in terms of the announcements made by the ANC yesterday, in terms of when people needed to be at Orlando Stadium, they were talking about the fact that they needed people to be seated uh, between 7 and 7.30 because uh, the, the family is expected to arrive at the stadium at, 11, at, at 8 o'clock. Uh, when I look at uh, Orlando Stadium right now, it's absolutely empty. Uh, the people have not started to arrive. Uh, as Tsepoe uh, Kaneng earlier speaking to you alluded to, there's a lot of traffic and there's a lot of security. So I think these may be some of the factors that are perhaps slowing down the flow of um, of people into into in, into the venue, but at this stage in time, uh, it seems uh, that perhaps we will we will start getting going uh, probably from about nine. I don't actually see the eight o'clock deadline happening. So, so there's a number of deadlines that will be missed uh, if we look at it from what we can hear from our reporter in Nasdaq as well as from yourself. Uh, so, when do we expect the service then to start this morning? You think? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I think there was a great effort. Uh, there was a memorial service here at 11, uh, at, um, on Wednesday, and it was supposed to, it was scheduled to start at, at 11 o'clock. 
and uh, the, the family was seated at about 10 minutes before that. Uh, the deputy president, um, uh, David Mabuza, walked in at 11 o'clock on the dot. Uh, but soon after that, the, the, the stadium then started filling up uh, quite quickly. I don't know if it's because once the dignitaries are in, uh, then the, 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 the gates then are thrown open and there's easier access uh, for ordinary people. I'm not sure if that is what the case is. But I do believe that uh, we will po- probably start as close to nine as possible. And we can we will probably see the stadium in the same way as we saw on Wednesday, filling up quite rapidly after that. All right, wonderful. That is our Deputy Political Editor, Busi Chimombe, coming to us live from Orlando Stadium. So it's happening this morning, people. So let me just run through uh, some of the details uh, this morning uh, for accredited guests. Uh, all those with the necessary accreditation, including the media, will park this morning at Safa House uh, and the, at the F&B Stadium, and they will be ferried from there to Orlando Stadium. And the shuttle services, as you heard earlier, no cars are allowed in and around Orlando Stadium. Parking will be available at Nasdrex, so you need to go to gate one and two, park your car there, and you'll have a, a shuttle bus taking you to Orlando Stadium. Uh, it will start at 4.30 this morning, and uh, it uh, it's indicated that the shuttle service will stop at 7.15, but as you heard from Tsepo Ikaneng there, our report on the ground, it seems like that deadline will be missed. Long queues of people currently standing there. Let's take a look at what you are telling us. We want you to share uh, with us your thoughts on Mama Winnie this morning. For let's first, first listen to some voice notes. Hello, I'm Sifuisa Makwede in Tata. I'm very troubled by, by what is happening here in Tata, this taxi violence. Uh, it's hard to go to work, it's hard to go to school uh, because we're using vans and uh, our lives are not safe. It was worse yesterday because the taxi drivers just closed the town. They were bending tires and all sorts of things, and police were there shooting, you know. We are in danger here in Tata. And uh, I'm asking the Minister of Police, Baba Begitele, he must come again and try to, to, to fix this thing. Well, that's an Mtata there, but uh, we're asking you your thoughts on Mama Winnie Mpo says goodbye to a wonderful woman who served the people and not herself. The best way the ANC party can honor Mama Winnie is by following in her footsteps. Uh, that is a wonderful one there uh, on the SMS line. You can do the same. You can let us know what's on your mind. This one from Jenny says, Elvis, just a wild thought. Now that the ANC has had a chance to, uh, at the top, perhaps the law should again ask Janus Wallosh who hired and killed Chris Harney, this uh, following the death of Mama Winnie, that one from Jenny there. Please let me know what's on your mind. But right now, uh, to take a look at uh, the life and times of Mama Winnie, uh, let me just give you some background. Winnie Madigizela Mandela, she was born Nomzano Winifred Zaniwe Madigizela uh, in April, uh, on the 26th of uh, September 1936, also known as Mama Winnie. She was South Africa's anti-apartheid activist and a politician and the ex-wife of Nelson Mandela. She also served as a member of parliament from 1994 to 2003 and from 2009 until her death and was a deputy minister from 1994 to 1996. But what was her leadership qualities? To find out, we are speaking to Dr. Mazwe Majola, the leadership expert and organizational strategist. A very good morning to you, doctor, and welcome. 
Good morning, Elvis, and good morning to SFM listeners. Everybody know her as Mama Winnie, but take her through. Take us through Winnie Mandela's leadership strengths and her weaknesses. I, I can call her the lion and the lamb. Uh, the lion, in terms of her courageous uh, or courageousness, uh, in terms of her resiliency. Uh, in terms of her resistance and uh, 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 the lamb in terms of uh, uh, the spirit of caring, humility, respect. You know, she was the, the lion with this spirit of amazing invincibility while she is a lamb uh, with a spirit of approachability and accessibility uh, she had this passion for the organization, and she had this compassion uh, for the ordinary people. What lessons could we learn from the life of Winnie Madigizela Mandela? Loyalty, commitment to your cause, and until the last day. She was so loyal to the African National Congress she was so committed even during the very difficult days when she was uh, deserted and, and failed by her own comrades and eventually uh, by his own uh, husband, someone she had waited for so long. And when she thought uh, she she was with her and then... Uh, Suddenly, she lost her. But she did not uh, lose uh, her hope, and she did not lose her temper. Uh, She fought uh, with this spirit of indefatigability until the last.